Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right, so what page was that on? Matthew chapter 7. Right, make sure you can see a bit of the Bible. Take it you've got hungry souls today, needy souls, just like I have. We need to pray that the Lord would speak to us and help us to see things that humanly we wouldn't better figure out on our own. No stuff that will have a concrete difference both today and on into the future and on into eternity. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would help us with that right now. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks, that you have made your declarations, that you have revealed something of your character and your power and your intent in your word, the Bible. And we thank you that we have that open before us now. And we ask, Lord, that you would grant to us ears that are open, minds that are attentive, hearts that are willing, because you only ever want to give good gifts to anybody who will receive. We thank you that you have stated your reputation upon that. You have demonstrated that by sending your son, Jesus Christ, into the world. You only want to give us good gifts. And so with open hands, we ask, Lord, now that you would grant it to us to receive what you want to give to us today. Help speaker and hearer alike, we ask, that we may go away with our arms loaded down with good gifts from you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, well, I think it's fair to say that if we are in a church on a Sunday morning, at least a few people who are gathered here are believers and Christians. Now, I don't assume that everybody in here is, and if you're not yet, then can I tell you you're particularly welcome and you picked a really good day to come along and try and figure out what all this thing is about. But I want to start off by saying to those of you who are believers, think about the day you decided to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Think about that day. You were, you were at the point where you realised that Jesus really did rise from the dead. He really did die on a cross. You believed what he said about you, that though we're made in God's image and made to know and love God, we cracked out on our own, did it our own way, and ended up in a terrible mess and facing his judgment you believe what he said about him, that there was grace enough in all that he did at the cross to pay for your sin and to make you a child of God. And you took his promises to the bank and you bet your life upon him. That's what happened the day you became a Christian. There was a status change. 
You went, according to the Bible, from being in spiritual darkness to being brought into spiritual life, paid for by Jesus, welcomed into the family, your past put behind you, and the promise of eternal life with God forever through what Jesus paid for. That's what happened. Do you remember it? But experientially, what happened? What do you mean, Steve? Do you remember the day before you became a Christian? Most of you go, no. Let me tell you about the day before you, before you became a Christian. It went something like this. You had in your life difficult people. Can I get an amen? Okay. You were facing sorrows. Things that were disappointments that you couldn't answer. Or the day before you became a Christian... You had unwanted well, and twisted attractions to things that you felt that if you got those things in your life, your life would be complete. And they were probably pretty stupid things. The day before you were a Christian, you didn't quite know how to respond to people who came at you who were enemies. Or dealing with injustice, you just wanted to take matters into your own hands. The day before you were a Christian, you were desperate for a sense of righteousness. So you tried to showcase and show off your good choices and your good deeds in the hope that it would make you feel like you were in, just like everybody else does. You found it really easy to feel anxious about stuff that was coming at you because you knew that no matter how much you tried to order and arrange your little world the way that you wanted to, it never quite worked according to plan, so your anxiety levels would build all the time and you get worried about almost anything, what people thought of you, what the future had to hold, and it felt like it was totally out of control. Now, do those sound like the kind of things that you were experiencing the day before you were a Christian? Yeah, it's pretty much it, isn't it? Okay. So what changed the next day? How did the story shift? Did you face any less of those things? So did anything change? One person says, yeah. What changed? Something changed inside of you because of what? You knew on that day you had a heavenly father. That you had been brought into his family. That you had been drawn into his kingdom. That although the events and the challenges and the hard things that came at you in your life were almost exactly the same, your experience of going through them, walking through them, had changed radically. Or had it? Have you noticed how our old habits die hard? Do you notice how easy it is where you lived under horizon, where there was no God to help you face your sorrow, no God to be at work in you when you've got your bad attitudes, no God who could forgive your sin? So often it's possible to know that God, sing the songs on a Sunday morning, turn up at church regularly, and carry on facing life as it comes at us as if he doesn't even exist. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course you do, because you've lived in the same week that I have this week. Something objectively changes when you meet Jesus for the first time. You begin your recovery. 
You're in a process of being made new in the way that you face everything that is coming at you. And that has been the expectation of the Sermon on the Mount, hasn't it, as we've been working through this section of the Bible all term. The greatest of all sermons that Jesus stood up and preached, and he said, if you're in my kingdom, everything has changed and you're in recovery. What's the way into the kingdom? By being poor in spirit, which means I know now that I'm needy in the way that I face everything that is coming at me. I'm not going to say I'm self-sufficient. I'm going to live out this new kingdom where I'm God-sufficient. But it's hard, isn't it? It's really difficult to do, do that. Now, let me slow down for a second and tell you that the essence of the Christian life is not coming to church, is not reading your Bible, is not giving generously to charity or knowing the words of the songs. It is not any of that. The essence of the Christian life experience is what? Rather than relating all the stuff that comes at you as if there is no God, it is walking with him as everything comes at you and depending on him as you go through life. Does that sound Christian to you? So I'll really know whether you're a believer, not on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning. I'll really know whether you're a believer, whether you're leaning into Jesus' wonderful kingdom promises, when those events that you can't even, I can't even tell you what they are today, because they don't come at you tomorrow, and when they do, they're not very welcome. And I'll be able to tell by whether you turn and lean into him and depend on him, or if you just go back before recovery. Do you see what I'm getting at? Now, I do, uh, do I do life as it comes at me with my heavenly father, or do I live as if he doesn't exist functionally? Do you know the riches that we have in Jesus every day as we face the things in life? And the reality is, I have to be honest as I've been preparing this this week, that I have to admit that so much of the time I just go on autopilot and respond out of steam. That's what I do. Anybody else with me on that? Maybe you don't respond out of steam. Maybe Matty responds out of Matty. Okay, and that has an equally bad mess as Steve responding out of steam. We just respond out of that. Now, as we've been going through this sermon, we've been called and invited to a different way, haven't we? And I know, because I've spoken with you, you've seen it as beautiful. You're like, yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful when I face down somebody in traffic who's driving like an absolute idiot, my first response isn't to go, you idiots. But it's to look upon that person and say, they're made of the same stuff as me. Perhaps in this domain they're being an idiot, but that's just a gift to me because it's shown me that probably in multiple domains of my life, I'm just as much of, a, of an idiot. And we've said that that would be a great way to live, wouldn't it? But why is it this week, having heard that sermon, I'm still calling people idiots? Oh, we had last week's sermon, didn't we, or the week before on, um, on anxiety. And the Lord Jesus goes... Do not be anxious. And I respond, seriously? Do you know what's going on? There's just, I mean, there's an election. I've got daughters. What more need I say? My life, because I know I've got a father. But instead, what do I do? I go on freak out mode. So having heard this sermon, how do I connect with the reality 
How do I live in this kingdom? And as we get to the end of this sermon, as we're towards the end, Jesus knows that you and I need to figure out how to connect this into our life. And so he's going to give us a word. And it's an incredibly complicated word. He has to say it five times in these short few sets of verses. And he says, this is the essence of the Christian life. Are you ready? Three letters, one word, A-S-K. What's the word? Let me hear you say it, people. He says it five times. Let me hear you say it, people. Do you see what is happening there? He's saying that you don't hear this stuff and go on an autopilot. You hear this stuff as an invitation to go deeper into a relationship that will change the way you face everything. You cannot do it on your own. But how little do we ask? Think about your last week. Okay? Who, would, who, who here thinks that more than 50% of the time they went on autopilot rather than ask their Heavenly Father? Let's have a little show of hands, okay? Brilliant. Who thinks that more than 75% of the time you went on autopilot rather than ask your Heavenly Father? Okay, let's push it a little bit further, okay? If, I can be, if I'm, I'll be honest, I reckon I'm around about 99% of the time. I reckon we've probably got some holy people here. Anybody think that, anybody think they did better than 10% of the time they asked? So I'm surrounded by a bunch of idiots because that reveals to me and it reveals to you what we really believe. Imagine if you believed that you had a heavenly father who holds every moment and every detail of all of creation and all of history and your well-being more powerfully, more wisely, and more lovingly than you ever could. And he says, ask me, and we don't. And so five times in these verses, the Lord Jesus goes, ask, ask. Think about what you and I forfeit and push away because we don't ask. Now, isn't it wonderful that he is a gentleman? He's not some social justice warrior trying to force his morality upon you. He will not impose himself upon you. He won't force you to do anything. With dignity, he says, okay, I have sent my son. That should be warning enough to you that I love you. He went to a cruel cross to pay for your sin, to break the power of that sin. He is reigning presently now, and he says, ask. I've adopted you into my family. You have gone from being paupers to princes or princesses. You're in recovery. All you have to do is what? Ask. But there are two things, two things that get in the way. You say, Steve, you've barely got to the text yet. Exactly. Out of this text, I'm going to show you the two things that if you want to grow in facing and walking life with, through, uh, through life 
with this Lord who loves you and gave himself for you, these are the two things you need to grab a hold of more than anything else. If you do not have either one, or if these two things aren't growing in you, then your, whatever your percentage was, it's not going to get any better. What are the two things? Two words. Neediness. Willingness. Neediness. Willingness. Let's see this play out, okay? Look down at verse 7 for me, would you? This goes under the title of neediness. These are the words of the Lord Jesus, and he says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Who seeks, finds and to him who knocks the door will be open to you i am constantly amazed at my resistance to being a person who is needy the very explanation behind these verses is that jesus is saying that spiritually speaking you cannot live 10 seconds without asking seeking knocking you're needy. There is a deficit. There is something lacking. And yet so much of the time I spend myself time persuading myself and others that if I just find it within myself, I can get by with almost any situation I face. Do you remember the song that we sang a moment ago? Lord, I need, need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. I'm around about every 10 seconds. I think about times that I've had with my daughters this week where... Um, they have been responding badly from the heart to things that have been coming at them. And perhaps they may have offloaded, perhaps they may have taken, perhaps they may have been self-centered and in that moment. And what do I do as a dad? I go to them and I say, stop it! You, stop it! What have I communicated to them? I have communicated to them that they live in a world where their heart can be bridled by their own willpower and their best intention. I have denied the fact that they were made as creatures to de be dependent on their heavenly father. I've said, you go and fix it. And if it was that easy, do you think they'd have left it unfixed? No, you see, they've got wayward hearts that wants to pursue and go after almost anything. And so have I. And every time I say, stop it, I'm suggesting that they can do the impossible. I'm suggesting that they can change on their own. I'm suggesting that they don't need to be as needy. What should I have been saying to them? I should have been saying, ask. You're going to need some help from on high. This calls for a big dog and you ain't it. You need the Lord and his mercy to be at work in your heart, your attitude, your perspectives, the things that you pursue, the way you see yourself. You need him there. Seek him. Because when you come near to him and when you find him, you see one who is beautiful and righteous and, and, and everything that is right seems to look more desirable. Knock because you believe somebody's going to answer. That's what you do. So our problem isn't just that we find it hard to express our neediness. We're asking and seeking and knocking in all the wrong places. And the first place we knock is ourselves. I've got this. Sorry, boxing illustration coming up. 
when the new two-time heavyweight champion of the world, Anthony Joshua, asked what was different about how he faced the fight last night and overcame. What was his second of four reasons that he did it? Answer, I believed in myself. And of course, that's the mantra of the modern world, isn't it? You can do this. Jesus Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Or you might be able to hit a few earthly goals, but you won't be changed deeply within your attitudes as to how you face injustice, how you deal with anxiety, what you pursue in your heart, how you view other people. It won't be turned beautiful and beautified as it was intended to be under the Lord's good hand. So rarely is what I'm pursuing good because I'm not asking, seeking and knocking. I'm made to be a dependent child. I am needy. Now, some of you are sitting there and going, I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking, and I'm still feeling needy. Yes. You see, some of us have this idea that if I just pray this, if I ask, seek, and knock, I won't feel aware of my neediness anymore. Lord, can you give me a pill for that? No, the whole of the Christian life is one of a growing sense of neediness. Some of you are like, Lord, calm my emotions down. Make me not quite so anxious. Help me to respond with a little less fire in my belly. I can't handle this anymore. And it doesn't quite change. The feeling doesn't change. The situation in your response might, but you're so focused on the feeling. Can I tell you why the feeling is there? The feeling is there like a big illuminator pen to show you your neediness. Mark Cavendish, here comes a cycling illustration. Mark Cavendish, who's a very, very famous and fast cyclist, says this. He says, cycling never gets any easier. You just go a bit faster. Do you get that? There's something about the fact that pedaling that ruddy bike and you train and train and train and train and train and you're still just as out of breath, but then you look at your speedo and you find you're going a lot faster. Can I tell you, that's a really good illustration of the Christian life. If some of you are expecting that you're not going to have to battle with the world, the flesh and the devil tomorrow, and you're just going to fly on some serene sort of home sort of Christian life existence, wake up! Jesus is saying, ask, seek, and knock. And if we knew our Greek, we would realize that it is a present continuous. In other words, he's saying, go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking, and please don't be surprised about it. Some of you say, now I don't know whether he's answering my prayers because it's still just as hard as it was yesterday. Duh! Don't be surprised if it's just as hard. You can be surprised if your responses don't change. Because the way you face it will be different. He will meet us if we realize that we're needy and go to him and ask and seek and knock. Please don't believe me. Believe what he says. What does it say at the end of verse 8? For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Are you needy enough to ask. If you believe you are, then the second thing that you need to believe is what? I gave you the word earlier. What was the second word? 
You need to believe in the willingness of God to meet you. Let's read these verses. What is he trying to get at? What does he want us to get under our belt and get a hold of? What is Christ saying is our problem, the thing that we just don't want to connect to? You ready? Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What is our problem? We don't believe he's willing to give good things. And that's why the Lord Jesus is putting these arguments in place. He's saying, listen, you will receive, you will find, the door will be opened. Why? Because your heavenly Father is willing. He wants to give you good things. You notice the phrase twice, good things. We'll come in a minute to what those good things are. But he wants to. Do you believe in his character? Do you believe that he can be called a heavenly father? We can be practical atheists for so much of our life because we just don't trust, which is a terrible slight on his character, that he has made us and created us to know him, and then he's just going to say, you're on your own, get lost. Heard this week of a terrible story of just a, of a father who was genuinely horrible, who would sometimes bring, this is going back 50 plus years, he would sometimes bring his rather destitute kids a little bag of sweets back, open the bag of sweets, and inside, having got all excited about it, were lumps of coal. He'd watch their faces drop and then go, <laughs> now that is wicked. And the reason I bring that up, Anthony's smiling at this point, Ruth's going, <coughs> stop it, Dad, Steve says. But the reality is, is that some of you have had a very negative experience of a father. So when I say good father, you are measuring the Lord by your experience. Can I tell you that he is the father of lights? He only ever does good. It is impossible. He would be untrue to himself to do anything other than wind up the world and let things play out in a way that will bring about ultimate good and will be a phenomenal blessing to those who know him. And love him. This is a father relationship. It's a real thing. You think of a, a little father. Uh, sorry, you think of a little child. We've got plenty of toddlers wandering around, and they are utterly dependent. That's how you're supposed to see yourself. Look at the the language there. It says, "Which of you, if his son, his son, if you belong to Jesus Christ, he views you as his own." You are precious. Now, I know that you find that difficult to believe. You say to yourself, you say to yourself well, if he did really love, love me, I would feel a little bit different and he would have given me that. Really? Is that how you measure the love of your own parents? That they make you feel better and give you all the goodies because obviously you're so wise and know exactly what to choose? Duh! If I gave my kids everything they asked for, I would have been locked up by social services a long time ago. We're not wise enough because we're little children, but we are his. If his son asks for bread, does he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a, stake, a snake? Then he argues from the lesser to the greater. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So he says that we're evil and corrupt, and even the best dad on planet Earth is evil because we like to do it our own way and think that we know better than God. 
If we know how to give good things, how much more the prototype God, the one who we're all modelled off if we are fathers. So why don't we ask? Because we don't believe. We don't believe we've got a heavenly father. We don't say, you are my heavenly father through Jesus. And I know you're going to treat me as such. So what happens then? If we're really to get a hold of this idea of God's willingness, then what we will do is we will come to the Lord with a strange mix of reverence and irreverence. Reverence because we know he's a king and he's holy and he is the judge of all things and he only ever does right and he holds all things in its, in its sway and you don't mess with the living God. We come with reverence so he's not our busy mate. But because we are his children and he is our father, we come with irreverence. My kids ask me things that are just so outlandish. I mean, my eldest one who's coming back this week, she has this way when she wants me, she just goes... Daddy. I'm like, oh no, this is going to cost me. But already I've said yes in my heart. <laughs> I can't help it. I know it was where, where is it? Be Amy used to send Becky when she wanted something because Becky did this sort of. And Amy tried it and she looked like she was having an epileptic fit. So she'd always send Becky because it always seemed to work. Because they're my kids and they kind of had a terrible messy bedroom, have been ragging each other's hair around, have disrespected me and they come along straight afterwards with no shame and go, can we have some money to go out? They can do that because they're my kids. You can't treat me like that. But they can. And we have a heavenly father so we go reverently but irreverently and almost in certain other sections of the gospel, it's almost shameless, it lacks reasonableness, it's impudent, but we go on a day-by-day -day basis. So I go in the mornings when I'm feeling anxious and acting as if he isn't in control. I go, Lord, everything's falling apart. And he's like, really? Not on my watch. It's, I can't handle it. And he's like, I know. Lord, you've got to do this. Really? Why have I got to do this, given the way you've treated me and everybody else in the te last 10 seconds? Oh, you just have! Please! Okay. Imagine what I'd have lost if I hadn't gone and asked and sought and knocked. Are you feeling right now how much of this last week you've wasted? Are you feeling it now? Are you feeling how different it could have been in the last 24 hours? Are you feeling that now? Do you believe that he is one who knows how to give good gifts? And people say, well, what are the good gifts? People think that this is like a name it and claim it kind of verse. It's like, Daddy wants a Mercedes. Lord, you've got to provide. No. The good gifts that he gives is himself. Luke chapter 11, this same verse with a little twist, it says, who knows how to give what? It doesn't say good gifts, it says the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So what happens in that moment when you ask, your heart gets reorientated towards him, and that in and of itself is a good gift. You bring to mind the scriptures and the promises that he has given you, that good gift, and they get traction in your life.
Whereas before I wanted to live my identity out of my performance and my performance has lacked and suddenly I realise I live my identity out of Jesus' performance and I hear his righteousness is mine. That makes a connection and it is the best of connection. It is the best of gifts of, to know that you are fully accepted through the righteousness of somebody else is so much better than all the other ways I try to make myself good about, feel good about myself. That good gift comes flooding into my life in that moment. That moment when I feel like I need to take control of the situation, otherwise there is no hope. And then suddenly I think to myself, no, I have a heavenly father who is intricately, more wisely, more purely, and just downright better involved in what I'm facing. And although it feels so pressing within me that I rule and I reign, I surrender the rule and reign over to him. And in that moment, I'm receiving such a good thing. And I respond differently in that moment. He gives good gifts. Sometimes it brings a measure of peace and relief. More often than not, it just simply means that I worship. Sometimes my emotions calm down. Sometimes they don't. All I know is I'm needy and I need to ask and to seek and to knock. It's so important. He is very committed, very willing. It is his plan. He has this wonderful ability that only fathers seem to have to be able to ignore your request whilst responding to your need. Can I say that again? He can ignore your request because it's stupid. Yet respond to your need. Isn't that safety? Don't you feel secure in that? So as I wrap up, I want to tell you about some of the ways I've been trying to put this to work in my life this week. Many people, when they preach a, a sermon on this, they just turn it into a, a sermon about prayer. Is this a sermon about prayer? Make sure you have your prayer time in the morning. Yeah, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? It's a posture of your heart as all of life rushes at you. So perhaps you will try to respond to this by changing the way you organise and set prayer in your life. Perhaps it will mean that you'll redouble your intention to be at the organised church prayer stuff. Perhaps it will simply mean that you will be asking in the morning and doing what many of us do, which is you, you pull out a pen and you write down all the things that emotionally you're responding to, either the things of the previous day or the ones at the head, and you lay it before your Heavenly Father and you say, Lord, forgive me for all of this of yesterday, or please would you deal with that from yesterday, or please would you help me to have a godly heart that trusts you for this for today. Maybe you'll do that in an organised way, or maybe your expression of this will just be, Every time you get a strong emotion or a strong belief or you're making a strong choice, you stop for a second and go vertical. And so I give you a few of the things that I've been doing this week. When, when an enemy comes along and keys two of our cars like they did this week, and my first five minutes of that was, I tell you what, I'm going to find out who they are and I'm going to stab them in the heart. How dare they invade my territory? Five minutes after that, when I've cold down, I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I responded like that because if you treated me like that with all my sin, I would be dead eternally and have been lightning bolted a long time ago. Please, Lord, your word tells me that it is for you to repay 
Please, I don't even know what to pray for them because I'm so angry. Please, would you do what you think is best? Would you deal with them? And through gritted teeth, Lord, I say to you, help them find your mercy too. Do you see how that's changed? I've gone, I've gone to the Lord. I've asked. I was seeking him, knocking. What about the times when I've had conversations with various people through the week when it seems to me they're making bad choices or acting out and I've tried to come alongside and help and that they've been a bit resistant, to say the least. What stirs up inside of me as I respond to that? Well, Matthew chapter 5. But I just want to say, you fool. And then I suddenly say, Lord, please, I need to ask you about this because I've just learned what I'm like. Because you give me your word and you tell me your truth every day. You see me making a mess, hurt myself and hurting others. You see me doing that, holding on to my way of seeing things really tightly. And yet you keep coming back with gentleness and your word. Lord, please help me in this moment to foster warm and gracious responses to those people who, at the moment, you've put in my way so that I can bless them and it's revealing my heart what I'm really like. Please help me. I think of moments where I spend money and it seems like it was a bad choice with a bad business and it's going to cost me lots of money and create lots of havoc. And in that moment, I'm like believe this my anxiety is rising and I'm like I haven't got time for this and I paid this so it wouldn't have to get dealt with why am I having to deal with this and I'm just feeling anxiety right okay got to make a plan I've got to fix this one got to box this one off I've got to and I'm taking matters into my own hands into my own hands into my own hands and I'm working up a, a, a whole stack of steam and I'm writing all the list of all the people I've got to let down in order to deal with this because I just have to have this one boxed off and dealt with because can't handle the anxiety and in that moment I say Lord You tell me you're my heavenly father and that you can take care of things, but I seem to be wanting to be you. And it feels so pressing on me right now. Lord, I just want to leave it with you. Please, would you help me to resist the temptation that I've got to deal with this here and now? Because it feels like I have. Help me to do and fulfill the responsibilities that I have got rather than trying to play God to calm myself down. Emily, just leave that for a minute, darling. I ask, I seek, I knock. And in that moment, something different begins to happen and good things start to come at me. Perhaps I'm tempted to judge. Anybody here tempted to judge around election time? And I hear the arguments and I hear the political discourse And I see people trying to undermine free speech and trying to do a political power grab to impose their ideologies on other people to what I'm convinced will be the demise of the nation and the shutting down of the gospel preaching. And in that moment, I want to condemn. I want to dismiss. I want to pronounce sentence on them, even as I'm watching the telly and something wrongs in my heart. So I can either carry on doing that or I can ask, Lord, I've got all kinds of wrong think. 
and I try to impose that upon other people all the time. Lord, I thank you that your word word tells me that you are more protective of the furtherance of the gospel and the common good than ever I will be. Please help me to leave it with you and not dismiss and cancel people because of their beliefs and their behaviours, but to do what you did, which is carry that and draw people near. Now, if I could take a hold of that, would that be a good gift at work in my heart? So I wonder whether right now you're thinking back over this last week, and I wonder whether you're thinking about lost opportunity because you didn't ask, because you didn't seek, because you didn't knock. What is the shape of the Christian life? It's one where we walk through life facing the same kind of things, but going to our heavenly father because he knows we are needy and he is willing. Well, our lives feel different. Sometimes they will. Sometimes it'll feel unsettling to feel needy all the time. But will we live differently? Well, Jesus seems to think that we will. He seems to think that we will be growing in maturity, steadfastness, stability, the honouring and glorifying of his name, the more we ask, the more we seek, the more we knock, because there is somebody home. There is somebody who's going to open the door. He is my father. I am needy. He is willing. So what kind of idiot would I be if I didn't draw down on that? Answer, the same kind of idiot that's standing and sitting in this room. And so we need to encourage one another in this, don't we? To be a needy people. And the way that we can do that to start off with is by singing that song together. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. <laughs>